when I'm at my lowest, in order to keep that end of the rope to hold on to, it's making sure that I'm still connected to my body through movement and nourishment. And if I can hold on to that, or if I fall off for a few days and get back on that, I can tend to find my center and then being committed to that, the next step will present itself if I'm not able to, to like grab it right away. Life is like a game of patience and discipline and knowing when to move into the opportunity. At least that's been my experience because sometimes I don't know what to do next, but if I gave up, that opportunity wouldn't have presented itself. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Mary Shenuda. Mary is a highly sought-after performance chef and specialist. Her clients include both professional athletes and Hollywood entertainers. Mary works with a team of nutritionists, doctors, physical therapists, and performance technologies to help identify and curate for her diverse roster of high-performing clients. Shanuta is also the creator and founder of Fat Fudge, that's P-H-A-T Fudge, a high-performance food line of her own formulation. In our discussion, Mary shares the four superfoods that she believes can improve your overall health. We talk about meal prepping, we cover mental health, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Mary Shanuta to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Your work, your story, everything that you've accomplished is so fascinating and inspiring to me. And one of the things I told you I wanted to talk to you about is you have so much knowledge when it comes to superfoods with your with the clientele you work with, whether that be some of the top entertainers or professional athletes. And I definitely want to dive into a few of those, but I think a good place for us to start is I've heard you say something along the lines of one person's superfood can be another person's kryptonite. What did you mean by that? So I think superfood is a great marketing term and it, it is great at pushing certain ingredients that people may not be privy to, but diet, nutrition, wellness is so individual. And so what works for me may not work for you and what works today may not work in six months. And it is nuanced. So I'm always careful when I say, when I talk about like my ingredient highlights is I want people to do a little bit more research around how it might apply to their blood chemistry, because it's very true. Like some of the ingredients that people push out there can be detrimental to someone else's health. So like liver is a great example. It's a food that I really think everyone should be incorporating unless you have issues with too much iron. And in which case, like, please don't be eating liver or turmeric can be really toxic for some people. Or there are some ingredients that are really good for oxygen to the blood. But if you are taking medications that are already blood thinners, like those interactions aren't going to be good for you either. So when someone says this is a superfood, it's like a superfood for whom? And I think that audiences want answers and want to be told what to do because it's easy, but they've got to take more agency and figure out, 
is that cool thing they just learned about applicable to them? Yeah, and I think it's weird because the superfood thing has gone so far that now you're seeing a lot of like experts being like, no, like the superfoods is just the fundamentals. Like you have to master like the basics first. Like at least this is my opinion. You can't out supplement or out superfood like a poor diet. You can't out supplement or out superfood a poor training regimen or a poor sleep routine, right? You have to master the basics first before exploring these other avenues. But I think one of the the superfoods that I've heard you talk about that I like actually looked into and was quite fascinating as far as like validity and and the research behind it is black cumin seed. And I know that's something you're really passionate about. So if you could explain like, what is it? Because I had honestly, I'd never heard of it, but I looked into it and I was like, wow, this looks pretty cool. It has some healing benefits. Talk about what made you discover it, how it's been useful for your clients. And maybe if the average person wants to look into trying it, like what's the best way to do that? So it's Nigella sativa is a scientific term. It's been a part of my life since I was a child. It's just part of the Egyptian culture. A lot of the, I call them nutrient-dense foods that I love and incorporate with my clients have just always been part of my culture. And as I got older and researched them, I was like, oh, mom and grandma were right. This is good for me, like on a much deeper level. So black cumin seed, we use it when we're fermenting foods, and then we also have the oil. And my mom just always said, you know, it will keep you from getting sick. And then fast forward to me leaving corporate America, doing what I'm doing as a performance chef, And learning more about the pharmacological benefits of the foods that I I really do love. It's known in Egypt as like the thing that will cure anything but death, which is very dramatic. (laughs) And so you go a little bit further and there's a compound on there called thiaquinone. I've actually never heard anybody say it out loud, so I have no idea if I'm ever saying it correctly. But it's a really, really potent anti-inflammatory. And There's so many double-blind studies out there that show its benefits for inflammation, but also antiviral, antibacterial. And I found some research showing that people were replacing their uh, thyroid medication with just a tablespoon of black seed oil. And it's something that I use with my athletes when we're deliberately reducing inflammation or when there's a lot of travel. I rarely get sick. My clients don't get sick. My friends don't get sick. My family doesn't get sick, especially during the last couple of years of what we've all experienced. I was like, why is it that my like ecosystem seems so insulated from getting sick? And I'm looking at what is everybody taking? And there were three things on there, went even further and and was like, oh, black seed oil is the common thread. And there's different ways that I use it depending on the client and depending on what we're trying to tackle. So there's like therapeutic doses that I'll use, which is a lot higher for a shorter period of time. And then there's just the maintenance one that I use, which is a teaspoon to a tablespoon, depending on the person at a time. So I I do think it's something everyone should look into. I do have a formula that I mix with other supplements that helps, the interaction helps really well with the same thing as I just discussed that formula will then turn into a product that I'll offer on Fat Fudge. That way people don't have to turn into a scientist in their kitchen putting things together. But black human seed is like MVP. Now, I do think a lot of people will benefit from it. It could be somebody's kryptonite, especially if you have issues with, if you're taking like blood pressure medication, black human seed can naturally lower blood pressure. So you don't want to have double effort there. You want to make sure that it's 
you're, you're measuring it and you're talking to your doctor and then maybe talking to your doctor about replacing if it's something that ends up working out for you. Same thing with it has a blood thinning effect. So if you're already on blood thinners, you want to be able to look at those things. And that's what I mean by I need people like when they hear somebody on a platform talk about anything, how does it apply to them? Just don't blindly take it. Because to your point, if you don't have the baseline down and you're throwing supplements into your body, you could be hurting yourself or wasting a shit ton of money on supplements <laughs> because you haven't figured out what it is that you need to address first. And it's true because it's so easy for somebody to get sucked into buying like a quick fix, especially because a lot of times when people are coming to make some sort of healthy transformation, they're in a place of despair where they're like willing to do anything and everything that they can to feel better. And, you know, we're going to get back to the superfoods and I want to get into also meal prepping because you're a professional chef and I want to, you know, help people on that side of things. But I want to touch on your story. And one of the things that really drew me to you is that you've overcome a lot of adversity in your life from a personal standpoint, from a professional standpoint. What was like the one though, if you could look back, like what was the one time in your life where you were really going through something super challenging? And in that moment, it seemed like you weren't going to get out of it, but because you came on the other side of it, it's made you a stronger person. What would that be? I don't think I've ever felt like I wasn't going to get out of it. It doesn't mean I'm not feeling it. It doesn't mean that I'm not entertaining the negative thoughts of like, this is it for me. I think by nature, the human will is to keep going. And I think the ability for me to keep going is by acknowledging the feeling that sometimes I don't. And from like a personal vantage point of the things I've experienced, there's the health issues, of course, which started at second grade. There's the almost dying on multiple occasions. There's the having been attacked at one point. There's the living in my car at another point. Like there's a lot of compounded experiences I've had. And for me, it's always been doubting a circumstance. Okay. Doubting myself never. And just like one foot in front of the other. And I've also lost a lot of people in my life at young ages. Majority of my friends have passed away. A lot of family members have passed away. My first funeral, I think I was like three or four years old. And for me, the the need to keep going comes from that too. Like how do I honor people that I felt left way too soon that shouldn't have left? Is like, let me put all of their amazing, beautiful qualities into this energetic bucket. Let me embody them and let me keep going in their honor. And that's the, like when I get asked to do talks or keynotes, I don't, I don't care if I'm talking about nutrition. I don't care if I'm talking about tech. I don't care if I'm talking about building a CPG company. I start every talk with, before I get into the presentation, I want you all to understand one thing. You're going to die one day. And everyone's like, what is this talk? And they like sit up and I go. And the reason why I say that is that everything I talk about topically is motivated by this idea of my mortality. And so when I'm making decisions, I'm making decisions, being very aware of what really matters in life. And I am doing what it is I want to do, even when it's hard because of this expiration date that I don't know is when gonna when it's gonna come due to, to, to the experience I've had with the people that I've lost before. I don't have one. I do say, you know, if, if I'm if I'm working with somebody one-on-one, I'm like, trust me, 
there's almost nothing you can say you've experienced that I don't have intimate experience with as well. And I'll meet you where you are, which sounds really heavy when you're talking about like sports and actors and things like that. But we're all human at the end of the day. And we all do have something that will help drive us. And part of the healing I do with nutrition is also the healing we do with your relationship with yourself and your relationship with what you do and who you are and your relationship with what you're putting in your body. Was that too deep? No, no, no. I mean, I definitely want to start to to tease that out and kind of uh, unpack that. And you said a couple of things that I want to go back to. One, you said, you know, I doubted my circumstance, but I never doubted myself. I think that's so important for people to hear that, you know, eventually this too will pass. I mean, it's so cliche, but it's reality, right? Like it's just every bad situation you've ever been in, you've come out on the other side of it. Did you maybe have some bumps and bruises along the way? Sure. To potentially teach you some amazing lessons. I mean, of course, I would think so. At some point, you learn something from those situations. But I think when we're in those moments, it's so hard to remember that, right, at times, because all we're thinking about is like survival, like, how do I make myself feel better now? And then I think also, it seemed that because you experienced so much when you were a kid, like your ability to overcome and adversity and and live with your back against the wall became like normal for you like that was just how you're wired now to just know that this is it like facing something hard right now i know nothing else but to move forward and the reason i wanted to talk about this is i think the biggest thing that people have a hard time with is like how do they like move forward when things in life don't make sense like when they're in the midst of darkness and it's like i don't see any hope i don't see any light what are a few things that you do though to build some momentum because i think momentum's key so that you can start to kind of turn things around when you're going through something challenging. Discipline is such an admirable quality. And I think when we're feeling desperate or hopeless, our discipline kind of goes out the window because we want to soothe in whatever way possible. And sometimes soothing is is this idea of giving up. And the relationship to self, like when things are the worst, if I can still keep my movement program growing, like going for walks, lifting weights, whatever sort of fitness is there to keep me connected to my body and staying away from alcohol, staying away from drugs, if if someone's going to reach for drugs. And it's just the, the little micro steps, like making sure I'm having a nourishing meal. And look, at one time in my life, I had a $2 budget a day to eat. Like, I don't want to be like, oh, you know, eat organic foods, like do your best with what you have. Like I've had it where it's very scarce, but those $2 could have been used on something detrimental for me or something that would help me. So when I'm at my lowest, in order to keep that end of the rope to hold on to, it's making sure that I'm still connected to my body through movement and nourishment. And if I can hold on to that, or if I fall off for a few days and get back on that, I can tend to find my center and then being committed to that, the next step will present itself if I'm not able to, to like grab it right away. Life is like a game of patience and discipline and knowing when to move into the opportunity. At least that's been my experience because sometimes I don't know what to do next, but if I gave up, that opportunity wouldn't have presented itself. Right. And I think it just goes back to, what we were saying a few minutes ago and that you have to master the basics, master the fundamentals and just stay disciplined, stay consistent. And there's going to be days where you don't feel your best. There's going to be days you feel off. There's going to be days you feel amazing. The fact of the matter is you just have to try to maintain some level of equanimity, I guess, throughout the process, no matter how 
you're feeling. And you talked about like the healing nature of food and how people can heal, I guess, how they have their relationship with food. There's a lot of people, I think, right now that are struggling with the relationship to food. Have you, like, personally, what's your been your experience, like, as far as your relationship to food? Was there ever a time where it was unhealthy? And if so, like, what did you do to help fix that? We will get you back to this episode of The Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I have been using for quite some time now. Lately, I have been trying to use it as an alternative to coffee as I am trying to cut back. I can say I think it might be working. Using it can be as simple as adding it to a smoothie or mixing it with water or your favorite nut milk. Cacao Bliss starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to eartheckofoods.com slash Doug Again, it's eartheckofoods.com slash Doug to check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. I grew up in a Mediterranean household, so fast food was a treat and not a treat my mom would give me. It's a treat I would sneak (laughs) at a friend's house. So the fresh foods have always been the baseline, and my food is unhealthy. Like as a high school kid playing sports, if you saw what I ate afterwards, like I would practice tennis six hours and then do a little caravan from like McDonald's, In-N-Out Burger, Togo's, a bakery, an ice cream shop and sit with all of it in front of me and like house it all. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like a negative. I can't say I had a negative relationship to food. I've just had times when I was like junk food heavy, but I always default back to making fresh foods. And I think the reason why is when you're a kid in, I think a lot of cultural households, your first chore is helping in the kitchen. And I think if you know how to prepare food for yourself, you will, when you're away from the junk food or away from the processed foods, always default to, you know, slicing a tomato, cutting up some chicken, making yourself a meal. So it's not difficult for me to go back to whole fresh foods, even when I want to go and have a little fun with the processed foods. And I think it's because at the core of my everyday is preparing food, which is why when I do speak to a broader audience, I go, just master four or five dishes. Even if you feel you can't cook, you can master four or five dishes. And that's your like true north when it comes to the relationship with food is that you just go back to preparing food for yourself. And there is something about that that's very empowering, especially as a kid. We do some volunteer stuff where we teach young kids about nutrition and how to cook for themselves. And you just see the confidence that's instilled from them at a young age. And you can instill that confidence with somebody at any age. As far as the more serious relationships with food when it comes to eating disorders, that's the one area that I know I cannot speak to because it's not something I have personal experience with. So when it comes to that relationship, I always default to, I I would need someone to speak to someone who does know how to speak to that particular psychology. Got it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. And I think one of the things that you said that kind of speaks out to me is that the importance of family 
and of community when it comes to food because I think other than you know how much better you typically will feel if you're consistently eating healthy, I think a lot of times when you're making a, a healthy meal, you're you're naturally sitting down with family members, maybe you're sitting down with a significant other or your kids and you're kind of you're eating a meal together. Whereas I think if you're out on the run, you know, eating fast food all the time, a lot of times you're in between appointments, you might be eating by yourself. You know, if you were me, you were like, you know, getting high with a bunch of friends back in the day. And then that was like the spot to go to. So not necessarily, you know, putting yourself in the best environment to perform at your best. And I think this is a good spot to like talk more about like preparing food because you touched on like having like four or five meals that you can always go back to. And a lot of people who listen to my podcast are busy as heck. They have kids. They just have so much going on. And it's easy to know what to eat. It's easy to know like maybe even what works for them. But it matters, I think, is you have to eat the food. You have to prepare the food. Right, right. What are some of the biggest tips that you have for somebody who's listening to this to make their healthy food taste better? and to prepare it efficiently. Tastes better is I, people need to trust seasoning, man. Americans, I'm American, I get it, but I also grew up in a cultural household. Like when I, like my chefs, for example, that work with me when I'm, I don't hire a classically trained chef. I love hiring people and teaching them how to be a chef. And I'll like watch a couple of meals come to me and I'm like, this, there's no seasoning on this whatsoever. <laughs> and so I have to teach them how to trust seasoning. Seasoning changes your life. And I think a lot of people under season their food. And then also people are so scared of salt, but when you start eating more fresh foods and less processed foods, you actually need more salt. But if you're really crunched for time, you want also variety throughout the week. I always recommend making all your protein just with some salt and garlic in bulk. So all your chicken, salt, garlic, and bulk, your beef, your salmon, and have enough for a few days of each. Do the same thing with your veggies and your starches. Make them in bulk with just salt and garlic. and that, That's your base. And then throughout the week, you can choose, mix and match. I want a little chicken. I want a little carb. I want a little vegetables. And then add your variety of seasoning at that time. Like get a few sauces you like that are really clean. Thai, Korean, Mediterranean, whatever. And then throughout the week, even though you have the bases all down, you have variety by how you add the sauces. And it makes it super simple because you can bulk prep all those proteins in almost no time because they're just salt and garlic. You can do the same thing with your veggies. And then you can either make the sauces or pre-purchase the sauces because there are so many clean options available now of sauces and seasoning and then create that variety throughout the week so it doesn't feel like oh i'm having the same like dish every single day you've created that for yourself right so what i'm hearing you say is like mixing up the proteins but keeping it simple with like salt and garlic same thing with the starches same thing with the vegetables and just kind of mixing everything up like throughout the week and throughout the month even yeah so i would do it if somebody's doing this like weekly Whatever meal prep day you have, make four or five pounds, depending on the size of the family or just for yourself, of each protein, which would cover the week. And then your cupboard or your fridge has your variety of sauces. And so day one could be like, I want some Korean chicken. So you grab your plain chicken, your broccoli, your sweet potatoes, you put the Korean sauce on there. And then the next day, I want Mediterranean, that same chicken, that same carb, that same veggie. And then you put the Mediterranean sauce on there. I love it. No, that sounds really good. That's actually something that I'm probably going to implement myself because I've honestly, I self, I partially selfishly asked that question too because I've gotten <laughs> so bad at meal prepping lately. I still eat healthy and I 
will cook like more consistently throughout the week where I'll make a little bit more in bulk. But if I could just get it done like a couple times a week, it would just save me so much time and so much money. It's so easy. It's so easy. And the only time you'll be spending when you're having your meal is the reheat and the adding the sauce. And then that leaves a little extra time to make a really good salad. So the only meal prepping you're doing at the time to actually eat is making yourself like a really hearty leafy green salad and mix it up too. Like don't stick to the same veggies and starches Mix up like your different veggies and different leafy greens and start to learn about what they do for your body. And then I don't know, it does create a lot of agency. And then once you do that consistently, you start to feel good and you never want to look back. Same thing with your bone broth. You can make it for the entire week and just have a cup every morning. So talk about bone broth because I know that's something I was going to actually talk about like the second superfood I wanted to talk about with you. But I think this is a good segue for this because this is something that's become very popular, I would say, over the last couple of years is bone broth for people that are not feeling well, for people that are looking to, you know, you know, improve their mood or energy or whatever the case may be. Like why, in your opinion, is bone broth so important and how can like the average person begin to implement it? Bone broth, I think is, if anybody has ever had pho, they've had bone broth yeah, yeah, yeah. for years. So people just don't realize it. So good. And when you're when you're not feeling well, when you're hungover, people are like, let's go get some pho. So your body already knew that bone broth was healing before we called it bone broth as a standalone and some influencer made it popular. So bone broth is a non-negotiable. All my athletes have to have at least a cup a day. All my clients have to have at least a cup a day. I have a gut reset, a seven-day reset that is specific to a bone broth recipe that is my own, that is a little more intricate with herbs and greens and things like that. And the way people feel after the seven days, it's three days of a specific broth and then four days of repeatable nutrient-dense foods. It's really great for your joints, your hair, your immune system. It's really good for the barrier of your brain. It's such a good carrier uh, for absorption. So you can add other herbs and spices to boost it and allow for more bioavailability. I think when people start using, uh, start drinking bone broth on a regular basis, within a few days, look, you can't eat McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken and drink bone broth and think things are going to be different. I just want to make that (laughs) clear. (laughs) But when you implement something like bone broth into a a pretty good diet, you start to notice the difference in your skin texture and how you feel and also the way you are digesting food in general with your other meals. And that's why I usually have my clients have bone broth in the morning with their breakfast because it sets them up for the day. And other ways to get bone broth if you don't want to just drink it or have it as a soup is making bone broth and freezing it into little ice cubes and then dropping those ice cubes into a sauce you're making or dropping an ice cube into like the scrambled eggs you're going to do to get that in in some other ways. And it's essentially it's collagen that you're putting back into your system. And some people like using collagen supplements. I think there's a difference between how much your body can absorb from a supplement versus the real food. But I'm very much real food first, supplement second. And we do just fine with bone broth across all my clients and myself. I love bone broth. I mean, I've always had a positive experience with it. And you know, I think it's something that most people obviously I think are, are really going to enjoy, especially during the wintertime when it gets cold here on the East Coast. And I think along the same lines as broth, as soup, it's going to go into another food that 
I know is very popular now that I know you like to talk about, and that is mushrooms, right? And we all know mushrooms can go very well in different forms of soup, even in bone broth, right? Why do you think mushrooms have become incredibly like popular and touted as this magical food, and we're seeing so many different supplements pop up that contain medicinal mushrooms? Yeah, it got popular because of Four Sigmatic. They really led the charge there. Tara's a dear friend of mine. So they really popularized functional mushrooms as supplements and making those mushroom teas. And I mean, back when they were just Four Sigma, not even Four Sigmatic, like they really led the charge and they opened up that category and allowed the conversation to focus on that. Because a lot of people always think mushrooms like slimy, ill, gross. And there's a difference between a culinary mushroom and a functional mushroom. And so I think people are talking more about functional mushrooms and you have the supplement form. You can still get things like lion's mane and cordyceps in the true form and do some really creative things with it, whether you're making tinctures or you're trying to cook with it. Like I'll cook with lion's mane. Shiitake mushrooms are my favorite mushrooms. They're the best. Yeah, from a culinary perspective, but also from a functional perspective. For example, when somebody's doing a candida protocol, they can't have mushrooms, but they can have shiitake. There's just something about the shiitake mushroom that doesn't promote the growth of it and actually helps as a really potent prebiotic fiber, which is why shiitake mushrooms are a part of my gut reset protocol. But again, just make sure it's not going to interact with anything else that you're doing (laughs) in your life with your health. But I've always loved mushrooms. When it comes to performance, cordyceps, lion's mane, athletes get Turkey tail, I don't think it's enough enough attention. Turkey tail is really powerful. I use that for, personally, I have a pituitary tumor, non-cancerous, a pituitary adenoma. And the protocol I have for myself includes higher doses of, of turkey tail mushrooms to help shrink that tumor. And I'm excited to see how these studies continue to come out on the power of, of functional mushrooms. Yeah, because there's, I see them everywhere. Like so many people are, are into them. There's so many companies popping up. You mentioned Four Sigmatic. I know they've been an early pioneer of all this stuff. And hopefully everything with your tumor that you just mentioned continues to heal and get better. And I want to go into what I think is really interesting with how you do your business, where you you essentially you're like the director or CEO of performance for these professional athletes and entertainers that you work with. And you have you have a team like around them that you work with. So talk a bit about like what types of people are on like these teams, like a practitioner teams that you work with to help you with your clients. And then how do does everybody come to their recommendations to for their clients? So the idea of th- that setup started when I was trying to figure out why I was sick most of my life. And it was, I would talk to this specialist and then this doctor, and then I would like vent to my trainer and then he would give me a recommendation, but nobody would be talking to each other. And so I'm like trying to take the information and it's all disjointed. So when I was going through my health journey, I would put everybody on one string, my gynecologist, my primary, my specialist, my trainer, my acupuncturist. I'm like, y'all need to be on the same string because y'all have different ideas and sometimes they don't always match up with the others. Like, let's just have a discussion. Are you here to help me? Or are you here to like be the smartest person in your lane? Because wellness and vitality, it's pillars and the pillars all have to like connect to create a good structure. And it's not this one person's going to heal everything. So when I left corporate to do what it is I do now, I kept that premise of either if I tap you on the shoulder to be a part of a project with a client, you're either going to be comfortable being part of a group environment or we don't need your services. 
it is a team effort. And a team is not people who win together. It's people who trust each other and can have discussions and share ideas. So that's where the idea came from. And so on my core focus is the actual, you know, implementation of the food, but it's also paying attention to everything going on with the athlete and, or the entertainer and being like, okay, we've got the food locked in, but you know, how's your sleep? Are we tracking your sleep with the aura? How can we improve that? Do we need an acupuncturist? Do we need a soft tissue worker? Do we need to implement, you know, breath work and a breath coach? The blood work that we run, I use sports scientists, like you're going to be interviewing Dan Garner and you've had Andy on before. The, the best in their class, like those are the people that I call in and we don't use the same group of people or, this, or the same modalities with every client. It varies per client, but I try to make sure I'm not the only one in the room and I'm not the smartest in the room, but I can contribute. And because I'm with my clients so much more than anyone else, I can notice things that maybe their trainer doesn't notice because their trainer is only with them one or two hours of a day. And so I like to flag things and be like, okay, I I noticed this or my clients give me real time feedback. I have the coach's view of the aura. So I'm, I'm seeing everything about their sleep in real time. I will watch them when they're training, watch them when they're playing and being like, oh, you know, I, I noticed they weren't perspiring as much, you know, how did you feel today? And I just, I just collect as much information as possible and then put it to the group and like, is this all what we want to see? Is there something we're trying to change? Is there something in the blood work that, you know, we're not improving and why aren't we improving it? Can we go a step further of like, why aren't they absorbing this? So it's, I don't know, kind of like Dr. House, I guess, but with performance. <laughs> That's so cool. I love how you have everybody on the same page. It's like you have your own, each person you're working with has its own like board of directors, right? And you have different people that fill different buckets from the seats of the board, right? And I think like diving into that one step further for the average person, there's a lot of, I would say there's a lot of information that's, that's being spread out there online about the importance of labs and taking supplements and doing all these things. And I think that's obviously good. It can be good, I should say. I also think it can be bad because I think that now people, they're just figuring that, okay, I'm just going to get lab work done and I'm going to take these supplements. And then because I take these supplements, like everything's going to be fixed. And I don't have to address anything else. So like when should somebody, like in your opinion, actually go get labs done and like what boxes should they check before like going down that route? So the level one is, do you have the basics down? If you don't have the basics down, you're going to have dirty labs, obviously. So like, for example, when a client comes to me for the first time, they'll, we do my gut reset before we run labs. Now, some of my colleagues disagree with that. They want the lab as dirty as possible. And I'm like, no, I I know if you're eating like crap, the labs are going to reflect that. We do a gut reset first, remove all the noise So the labs that we run afterwards are a clear view of how is your body functioning when the noise is gone, because that's what I want to maximize on. So I'm all about, let's get the baseline first. Are you eating right? And right will look different for different people, but you know, are you doing the best that you can with whole nutritious foods? If you cut out the fried foods, the junk food, the sodas, remove that first. Let's see how you're feeling. Are you getting in a walk every day? I don't need you going balls to the wall, hard in the paint with some training. Are you just getting a walk in every day? Are you taking at least five minutes to yourself to breathe, get your mind right in the morning? These little low-hanging fruit free things that can make a world of a difference. And then you're like, 
you know, I still don't feel great or something actually really is still really wrong, then you want to not just, I, I, I love the accessibility of these labs now. I really, really do. But if you don't have somebody interpreting, interpreting them for you in a real way, who knows how to ask the right questions, like you may get a result. The result's not the end of it. The result is the beginning of asking more questions. And if you don't have someone that can guide you through how to ask those right questions, getting just labs thrown at you with some results and a list of recommended supplements can do more harm than good. So it's if you're going to explore more, explore more with someone. You can hire someone who's a specialist. You can hire someone who's a functional medicine doctor, or you can take the time and dedicate and really dive in and learn on your own. Right. And I would also argue that you'll get way further if you, you know, eat well most of the time. You're drinking plenty of water. You're getting your sleep right. You're hanging out with good people. You're taking some time to yourself. You're exercising. You, that will get you so much further than just taking supplements and, and not doing some of those things. I guarantee you, because I've been there. I've been somebody who even during my health and fitness journey where I was like, all right, like I'm just going to take some supplements. I don't have to worry about my sleep. I don't have to worry about, you know, working out as hard, you know, certain days. Right. And then you learn like, no, I, you still got to push yourself. You still have to like master your sleep. And yes, supplements, I think can definitely enhance things, but they only enhance things once you've got them, you know, down at a fundamental level. Yeah, for sure. Some people are like, oh, I don't notice the supplements. I'm like, yeah, because you're doing everything to jeopardize you feeling that supplement. <laughs> like you're doing everything wrong to where you don't even get to feel the actual benefits of the supplements. It's one of my favorite things about working, particularly with athletes, is they're so aware of their body and they're so locked in that when we make even a 10 milligram difference on a supplement, they feel it. Because everything is so clean and clear. So it's really cool from like a nerdy perspective to be like, one of my favorite stories is the soccer players I work with, who's like one of the greatest in the world. My pre-workout stuff that I do for my clients, it's not caffeine-based. I think caffeine-based supplementation for pre-workout is lazy and reductive. So it's nutrient-based. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's, uh, so it's nutrient-based. Like my clients get a different vitamins. They, they get desiccated liver in their pre-workout and all these From liver king? things. If I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me about him, and especially this week, I'm like, oh man, is there, is there any room at the table for a reasonable voice? Can we? Can... <laughs> I, I had to. Sorry. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Um, and for the record, like, I'm not even, people are like, what do you think of this? And I'm like, I've never given you guys my opinion on anyone. I don't know why you want my, I think I'm going to do something different now, but if you want my opinion on what has occurred this week, it's like, I'm not mad at the dude for doing what he was doing. I'm mad that he's not transparent about it. Just like be transparent about oh, the way you approach your life. And then one, you can't get found out. <laughs> and, and then two, it's a real discussion around your lifestyle. But that's all I can say about that, I guess. So the soccer player, I do a lot of nutrient-focused stuff for the pre-workout. And we had found a really good combination and then I was like, you know, I kind of want to, I want to push this a little bit. So I made slight differences to it and I didn't get a chance to talk to him before the match to tell him, Hey, it's going to be a little bit different and it's my bad, but I forgot, didn't get a chance to connect with him. So they're doing the national anthem and I'm up in the suite and he's the star of the team. So the camera keeps going on him. 
during the national anthem. And I pay attention to breath cadence. I pay attention to everything. And I notice his breath cadence is off. I can see they panned him and he's like, and I'm like, oh my God, I killed the star player. Oh my God, what did I do? What did I do? He hit a hat trick in that match, which was dope. And then afterwards, when we go all meet up, the team meets up for dinner, he comes to like say hi and give me a hug. And he goes, did you change the pregame drink? I'm like, I did. I did. I'm so sorry. He's like, no, I love it. I love it. During the national anthem, I felt this feeling in my arms and my, my heart. And I was like, what is happening? And I'm like, I love that you felt that difference because I didn't make a huge difference to it. But it's it's so cool that they can feel that because everything is so clear. So how do you handle that? Like, has there been, like, I mean, I, I would guess there's been times when maybe you've given somebody the wrong dose or something didn't work, right? Where you formulated something like, do these athletes typically, do they trust you enough to provide you with like some pretty like good feedback when something's off? Oh, yeah. My business is been referral based for as long as I can remember, which means they know that they're not hiring a chef that they can tell what to do. They know they're hiring a specialist and they know that it has to be very trust-based and they have to know that, I mean, even down to the way the food tastes, I go, I don't take anything personal. This is all us discovery and optimization. So they'll give me any and all feedback, even if the feedback's like, I didn't feel anything or, you know, my stomach kind of hurt or it could be better. And because it's all it is, it's trust. We're making it I don't know everything about you. I'm only as good as the information I have and the information is only as good as the questions I ask. And the questions I asked have to be given the right answers, the clear answers, the true answers, because we're all gunning after the same thing. Championships. We want to win. (laughs) So it's the times I've been a little bit off have been like three in 10 years and they weren't crazy detrimental. It was just more of like, "Mm, I didn't sit right with me. Got it. That makes sense because, yeah, like the margin of error sometimes for these athletes is so small, right? Where if you like the slightest adjustment in something can throw off something like like crazy for them because they're moving so fast. They have so much going on. They have other things that they're battling. And I would guess that most people who are listening to my show, you know, they're not professional athletes, nor do they really want to be one. However, I think everybody's looking to increase their performance and perform their best for their family, for their job, um, for themselves, for the relationship, whatever the case may be. I want to take a step back and zoom out. Like I know you've been able to get some intimate relationships with your clients who are some of the highest achieving people in the world. What are some of the common themes from like a macro level, not just diet and exercise, but from like an actual like life, life level of like all these people have in common so that they're able to perform their best? It's just a strive for excellence. And it's easy to hear excellence and think, well, of course, they're at the top of their game. But you can just be an excellent human being. They want to be present. They want to be connected. And they want to be the best that they can be. And you can be the best at whoever it is you are on an individual level. And I think the ability to work with such high performers, and it's not just athletes. I get to work with some of the greatest CEOs in the world, musicians, artists, etc., And by seeing what works great for them, I can then peel it back and make it more generalized for the, like, we're normies. You and I, we're normies, like common folk. (laughs) And so, like, I talk about, you know, pillars of mindset and how it's all about, you know, you got to find your balance first. And what does that look like before you take the next step? Because as a, as a, you think about a toddler learning how to walk, 
they have to find their balance standing before they take that step. So then I talk about how do you find that balance? And yeah, there's nutrition and movement, but, and I've posted about this. I was at a, a performance summit. I was on a panel and they had asked me, the moderator asked me, you know, what's the most common nutrient deficiency you see among all your athletes? And I was like, I know you want me to tell you like magnesium and vitamin D or iron or anything like that. But the most common deficiency that we work on across all clients is compassion, connection, physical touch. And it doesn't matter what I do from a nutrition standpoint. If we don't have that dialed in, your body is not going to utilize what we're doing to it at a most optimal level. So it's it's the woo-woo-y stuff that people really master And one doesn't have to come before the other. Sometimes they come together. Like making a good choice with your nutrition today, taking the choice to to take that walk, even if it's 10 minutes, then allows your body to start seeing like, oh, you're taking care of me. I'm going to take care of you. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because I would imagine that that is something that they struggle with, right? Is compassion, connectivity, just being comfortable around other people because- you know, a lot of times these people are put on pedestals and they it often be, oftentimes because of them being put on pedestals, they almost become dehumanized in a way, right? Where their identity becomes separate from being a human being, right? And that can be really challenging to manage, as especially as they become more famous and more well-known, right? Because now they're like getting more attention, they're getting more money, more eyes are on them and that all feels good, right? So it's it's hard to maintain that sense of balance. Going back to you for a second, I've heard you say that like sometimes you'll wake up and you'll feel like a little down or feel a little depressed. Like that's just something that you've, you kind of deal with. First, have you figured out or discovered like, you know, why, why that is? And then on the second thing, like, I know we've talked about some of the mindset, mindset shifts that you use to overcome adversity. Did like, you say mindset? Yeah. I meant to say, <laughs> I, know we've, I, I, know, I know we've talked about some of the mindset shifts that you've used to get yourself out of a, a hard place. But what gets you out of bed when you're feeling off? I just literally just getting out of bed. If I wake up and I'm in one of those moods and I don't know the source, I've always kind of been like that, even as a kid. I know there's there's that one, like the five second rule, like get out immediately. I'm not that person. I'm like, let me just sit in bed and like feel my toes and take a deep breath and ease into acknowledge I feel that way, like actually acknowledge it and then choose to get up anyway as proof that I am stronger than the feeling I have. Like I don't want to ignore it because then it can creep up on me and like attack me. It's very much of like, no, I know I feel this way. And you know what? I'm going to get out of bed anyways. And I open a window. I let fresh air come in, even if it's freezing outside. So my cells of my body are feeling vitality of what is outside. And then I have my habits, whether it's sitting on the balcony to get sunshine or turning on my red light, having some tea, those little routines that get me right. But it's, um, I said this a long time ago, for anyone that battles with depression, it's like, sometimes that doesn't go away. Sometimes it's with you at all times and you become the bigger monster that the monster is going to be scared of. Like you become bigger, badder, and better at recognizing it when the shadow is going to show itself. And you become a pro of like, nope, I know it's there and I'm not worried. I do find that people that do a lot of works and service, because outside of what I do for my clients, I've always volunteered, whether it's in 
bereavement and hospice, at-risk youth, domestic violence. I try to to give back and I, I find that the more someone is like that, the more they do sometimes have that darkness that's just with them at all times. And I don't know why we say the darkness is so bad. Like I feel like the darkness is parts of, part of the juxtaposition of the beauty of life. So why would I deny that? I love what you said there because I think – a, you, sometimes you just have to get out of bed, but B, like you have to become bigger than that thing. And I'm not talking about like clinical depression or people who are like just severely depressed where there's something potentially going on, you know, from a biological perspective or from a chemical perspective. I'm talking about like where a lot of people, they just feel a little bit down and because they're down, they justify bad behaviors because of that, right? And they're like, all right, well, life's hitting me right now. So I'm just going to let life beat the crap out of me. Here, I'm feeling down. All right, I'm going to go get drunk. I'm going to beat myself down a little bit more. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to yell at my partner. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then life's just like knocking you. It's like left, right, left, right, like in the face. And sometimes you got to fight back. Like you have to fight back and you got to hit back. You have to. You really have to. Like I've never been one to get a drink on a bad day. That's not me being on my own team. And not to say I'm not like, man, I want to turn off this feeling. And I do know getting a drink would do that. But I also know it's going to feel worse later. So it's very much of like, all right, what would I do if I was on my own side? What would I do if I was on my own team? And like the worst I'll do is maybe I won't get out of bed that whole day. Maybe my body just needed to rest. But it's just be have your own back. It's really simple. Like maybe visualize yourself as a little kid and have the back of that little kid. I love that. I mean, yeah, you got to have your own back. You got to be your own cheerleader. You have to be your own hero. And I think that's an important thing for people to remember because you have to have that tool belt. You have to have that toolkit of things that you can utilize when you're when you're feeling off because as we all know, like life is not all sunshines and rainbows. As a matter of fact, like a lot of the times it's not like that at all, right? Like a lot of times you're feeling like 70%, you might feel 80%. A few days you might feel 97, then you might feel like 33, and but then it's never like 100%. There's always something going on, right? And it's on you to figure out how to deal with it. Life is going to be inconsistent like that for sure, but you can work on being the 100%. You can be the wonderful in life. Like there's a line from a Jason Mraz song. He's like, I feel like an island of hope in a sea of diarrhea. <laughs> 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 and then I, I, I love that line so much because it's true. Like life is messy. Life is hard. So it's really up to you to be the wonderful in it. And, and you're not going to be perfect. So don't knock yourself if you have off seasons, not even days, like off seasons. But you get to control how you show up. Because like you said earlier, like this too shall pass. Let that be a lesson in presence because the good stuff will pass too. This too shall pass applies to everything. You got to stay steady. I talked about this before we started recording, which was the idea of tetherball. And I've used this analogy for as long as I can remember, where I try to be the pole. I am steady. I am unwavering. Life comes at me and starts swinging and unswinging and doing all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, cool, steady. Just stay steady. Just stay steady. And like we kind of touched on, just maintain some sense of equanimity and stay even keel throughout the, the highs and the lows while also staying present so that you can respect the process, respect the journey and learn the lessons along the way, but also celebrate the small wins 
and like kind of just sit back and smell the roses a bit when things are going really well. I want to go back to, I want to talk about like one more like superfood that you recommend people to try out. So we've talked about the black cumin seed. We've talked about bone broth. We've talked about mushrooms. If there was one more that you have done a ton of research on and you just know that if you were looking for somebody that is looking to, you know, feel better, live longer, increase their longevity, what would be the other, another superfood that you think that somebody should definitely consider? Liver, eating organ meat for sure. Again, that's something that I grew up eating. Didn't understand why people here didn't like it until I realized how it was prepared in America versus Egypt. But it is a very nutrient dense food. If you look at the recommended daily value of like B vitamins and selenium and all these other components, it can very well be a multivitamin in itself. And I mean, I have some interesting case studies around working with the Nike running team and having a few different runners have issues with not having a period at all or having issues with their skin. And then suddenly after six weeks of liver period returns, skin clears up, people have a hard time maintaining weight, energy levels. Like I said, I might be one of the few or only people that include liver as part of a pre-workout <laughs> cocktail. So liver is one. If you can't cook it yourself, they have liver capsules that you can take. It can be a game changer for a lot of people. And a lot of people, do. I, I used to say eat liver, save the world, because um, I'm not really into mass farming. I don't know anyone who is like, hell yeah, mass farming. But we eat a lot of muscle meat in America and copious amounts of it. And if you eat more organ meat, you are more nutrient satiated. Your body is getting what it needs. And if you're nutrient satiated, your hunger cues can start to go away sooner. So then you need less muscle meat. Less muscle meat means less need for mass farming. You end up eating less overall. Right. So, uh, but I would think for the average person, the thought of eating organ meat or liver sounds kind of kind of uh, foul. Yeah. Don't be average anymore. Level up. Show up. <laughs> How, however, though. How can somebody make it actually taste like decent, right? Because I think for somebody who's listening to this, they're like, all right, that's cool. It's just not worth it. Like I can, I can figure out to get the same benefits somewhere else. Like, but you can't though. How can, I'm sure somebody <laughs> could though. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure they could. <laughs> you can, like I said, you can just supplement. I find chicken liver to be more palatable than beef liver. And then I have a recipe called Bangin' Liver that I've served to a thousand people at one time. And it's been on a lot of menus and everyone loves it. It's part of my gut reset as well. The way we prepare it in Egypt, where it has a lot of warming spices, so cumin, coriander, cinnamon, some red pepper, some cilantro, and jalapeno and lime. And you sizzle that up. I've had clients, you know, eating it. And I'm like, oh, it's liver today. He's like, it's not liver. And I'm like, it's liver. And like, no, I hate liver. And I'm like, okay, you're eating liver. No way. And I'm like, fine, you're not eating liver. I'm <laughs> whatever. So it's, I think people's experience with it has, has scared them off. And you can do the bang and liver recipe, which has a lot of beautiful spices. If that seems too complex for one, just to sear with some garlic and salt and lime juice makes a world of a difference. Cool. I will make sure to link the uh, your recipe in the show notes for people in case they want to try it. Because I mean, like obviously, like you said, it can be very nutrient dense, but I think it's all in like how you cook it and making sure it's palatable for the the average person who is yeah is not used or to grind it. it up and put it in a burger or something. If you don't want to like have liver, hide it in your ground meat. Yeah, I mean that's an option too. <laughs> but I think I think people might be have a better chance of actually like grilling it the way you said it because the way you said to, to cook it actually sounds pretty appetizing. So 
As we come to a close, I know that you've built this amazing company called Fat Fudge, which maybe people who are listening to this or they're already familiar with or not familiar with. Just for, for a few minutes, just explain like what Fat Fudge is, why you created it, and if people want to check it out, like where's the best place for them to find it? P-H-A-T, which I think ages us. I think that's an older term now, but whatever, I'm bringing it back. <laughs> fat fudge. So it's a tahini based squeeze pack. I was really unhappy with protein bars and goos and all of that when I came into being a performance chef. And it was what I was making for my athletes. So the tahini base, and I was freezing it into little fudge forms or just making little hand packets that also included different adaptogens. And they would use it pre-game, pre-workout, mid-workout. I've worked with a sailing team, so they're using it out in the water runners and then my other clients who like moms on the go or some mothers were throwing it in their labor bag like using it during labor because of the way that it's digested so it was something i was making for my clients i posted the recipe recipe went viral and the audience wanted me to make it into a product so i did self-funded it i still have the muscle on my hand from the ketchup bottle squeezing when i started out doing ten thousand packets and it's become a beloved product it's used across multiple sports organizations, which is really freaking cool. And surfers and firefighters and doctors. And it's taken on a life of its own, which is really dope. And so I have three versions of it. The original cacao got a power berry and an adapt halva. And what's unique to those flavors is there will never be a birthday cake flavor. The flavor of the product is created to complement the ingredients, the star ingredients in there. So the cacao one is... I wanted the benefits of cacao, turmeric, and low-dose coffee. It's one coffee bean per packet. And maca. That complements well with chocolate. The power berry, the star ingredients are cordyceps and beets, so it's energy without caffeine. Strawberry complements that. The adapt halva. Halva is a Middle Eastern dessert. It tastes like a fluffernutter, my American friends say. The star ingredients in there are reishi and ashwagandha. It's supposed to be an adaptogen, sort of bring your nervous system down. Vanilla complements that. So anything I create, the flavor is determined by the real ingredients. So the premise behind Fat Fudge is real ingredient performance food. And you can interchange them how you want. I made them to be squeeze packets that you just, you know, take down. Some people throw it in their lattes and make lattes with them, throw them in their their smoothies. People put them on their waffles and their oatmeal. You can make it your own. But the way I made it was packet form and you can interchange them how you wish but if you are wanting to be specific as far as like you know leveraging the ingredients in there cacao one would be in the morning or pre-workout before a game or before a heavy workout and you want to get a little more boost it could be the cacao and the strawberry together and then late afternoon evening time you can do the the adapt halva i will sometimes do the cacao or i will also do the adapt halva in the morning anyways with a cup of coffee because i like the balance of of those two things together it sounds so good i'm actually getting hungry uh now just thinking about that so i encourage people to check it out and to give it a taste because what you've built is inspiring and i commend you for everything that you've overcome personally and professionally. And I think people are really going to resonate with this, Mary. So I hope so. Where's the best place for people to follow along your journey if they want to connect with you? I'm Paleo Chef across all platforms. I'm most active on Instagram. I'm trying to be more active on TikTok. So throw me some questions there. I do respond to commentary and do ask me anything. And then Fat Fudge is Fat Fudge across all platforms as well. 
amazing. Well, I'll make sure to link that stuff in the show notes. And what I invite people to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Mary said about some of the superfoods that she loves for herself and her clients. Maybe it was something that she said about how she's overcome so much adversity. Maybe it was something that she talked about when she spoke about when she feels depressed or not, so she doesn't feel like getting out of bed. Or perhaps it was something she said when she was talking about how to master your meal prep. Whatever the takeaway was, tag Mary, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.